Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. We're going to continue our class on the effects of Maya, the gaps in which Maya enters. And today we're going to talk about something which I'm going to be talking about later to a class we're doing for people new to Krishna consciousness, and it's about the effects of the environment. And I wasn't planning to talk about this, but after preparing this class, I felt that we should at least talk a little bit about it because it's really important. There's some very interesting things that came up about the effects of effects of environment, particularly how willpower is often insufficient if we're in a wrong environment. So I want to talk about that. And we started late, which means some of you may have thought we're not doing the class. So I'm going to do kirtan now while we're waiting for everyone to come. But this topic of the effects on the environment is quite interesting because as you explore it, you realize, you may realize the environment has much more effect on us than we thought, or we generally think. Hare Krishna. So, my voice kind of disappeared this weekend. Just went away. We have some voice left, so we will take advantage of whatever voice we have. Sarananda, 
So, for those of you who have come late, I had mentioned that I'm preparing a class that I'm going to do later today, and I was finishing the preparation of the class, and the class is on the effects of the environment. And um, it was, I think, so important for us to discuss this in relation to what we're discussing about Maya that I thought, let's let's bring this in and see how long we want to talk about it. Some of you know Paramahansa Yogananda. He started an organization called the Self-Realization Fellowship. And he, he they focused on karma yoga, what they call kriya yoga, action yoga, and they have brahmacharis living in their center, and they, and Prabhupada said they're, it was kind of like the Walmart of spirituality, you know, they have like lots of things going on. 
But Paramahansa Yogananda, the founder, he said something which I always found very interesting. And he said, environment is more powerful than willpower. And so what he meant by that is if you, if you decide not to watch television and you're sitting in the room with the television and I turn the television on and put the remote control in your hand, it's going to be a lot more difficult than if you just sold your television. I want to give up watching television. Well, I'll create an environment where there is no television. So to watch it, I'd have to go somewhere else. So probably that's going to work. But if the television is there, if it's on, someone puts the remote control in my hand, it's going to be more difficult. I want to stop eating junk food. I'm sitting in my house, and my daughter comes up and puts in my hand my favorite junk food cookie that I can't resist eating. Better, I create an environment in my house, which obviously means I wouldn't have any cookies in my house. That would make it easier. You agree? Of course you agree. How could you not agree? So, uh, I don't have any cookies in my house. It's going to be a lot harder to eat cookies. I have to actually make an effort. So, what do I have? I have some healthy cookies. It's not junk food. So, I've created an environment and so, in thinking about this, I think we can see in specifically now with COVID, we have not got as much association as we normally get, especially in the beginning of COVID, and it was affecting us. We could feel it. We could feel how powerful the association of it is and how much we need it, right? You agree? Of course you agree, because it's your experience. This was our experience. And we start, to, we start to realize when we don't get association how much we are positive, positively affected by that association and how much that association is affecting our desires, is affecting our inspiration, how much that association is affecting what's going on in our minds and hearts. We, when we don't get it, we realize, oh, I'm, I'm a very conditioned soul. And that conditioning is not so obvious when I'm in good association because that association becomes more powerful for me than my own nature. So my own nature may drag me down, but in good association, I'm lifted up. So this is, uh, because of this reality, it's, it's necessary to talk about it and just acknowledge it. And acknowledge that willpower should be used to create the environment which is going to enable us to be able to do whatever it is that we are trying to do. In our case, following our sadhana, that's one very important aspect of our lives, controlling ourselves and not wasting time, etc. So rather than think, okay, I'm going to jack up my willpower, which of course we should to do something, but well, that's something we're trying to do. Maybe we can't do it alone. And so we need to distinguish. Can I actually do this just by my willpower? Or is this so difficult that I'm not going to be able to do it well on my own? 
because I don't, it's just, I don't have the discipline to do it. I don't have the willpower. It's just circumstantially, it's not going to happen. So like sometimes someone will say, I want to go to the gym. Will you go with me? Because I know if you're going to show up and go, I will go. But if you're not there, I may not go. Will you chant japa with me? Because I, I want to chant in the morning, but if I don't have a partner, I will do something else. So you're creating an environment to sustain your willpower. So your willpower is to do something, but you're smart enough to use your willpower in a situation where you know you don't really have the willpower to sustain it, maybe not even to get it going, but you have the willpower at least to create the environment which would sustain it. So... Understanding this is important. Now, I just want to divert for a moment into the world of addiction, which I don't know a lot about, but I know something about. And the the concept of the world of addiction, and a lot of us are addicted. We're just not addicted to drugs or sex or alcohol, but we're, we, we're addicted to things which may not be good for us. And we know some things we're addicted to we can't give up. So it gives you an idea of what a real addiction, a heavy drug addiction or a sex addiction, alcohol addiction would be like. And the definition of addiction is you're doing something which is destructive, but you keep, you keep doing it and you can't give it up because you're addicted. And you've tried to give it up and you've tried and tried and you've always gone back. That's the, that's the sign of addiction. Now, if you're addicted to chanting Hare Krishna, that's not bad for you. So it's technically, you can consider it addiction, but in a positive sense. In the common sense of the usage, it's not an addiction because it's not destructive. So this definition of addiction, it's important. You're doing something which is destructive. You know it's bad for you, and you can't stop it. So in the world of addiction they realize that you on your own are not going to be able to conquer this because you would have already conquered it by now if you're able to do it. You need help of other people. You need mentors. You need groups. You need support systems. You need, be, you need to be able to create an environment where you can give up this addiction. Sometimes you'll go into some kind of an environment, controlled environment, Sometimes you'll join a support group and you'll have a mentor and you'll talk to him every day. And you'll have exercises you'll do. You'll just, you just surround, you're just creating this environment uh, that supports you. And anytime you feel like you're going to give in to your addiction, you will call your, they call them, in the recovery movement, they call them sponsors. You will call your sponsor and your sponsor will talk you out of it. So you've, you've created this environment. Now, sometimes you'll see Krishna says if you meditate on sense gratification, become attached to it. So sometimes you'll see you can create an environment that will prevent you from doing something, but then due to foolishness, you'll reject the environment because you want to do that. So you actually don't want the environment. Interesting, right? <laughs> That's unfortunate. You don't want the environment that would help you. But... Uh, in in our saner moments, if we create that environment, and then when we're giving in, we fall back on the environment to support us. So this this is really important. So, 
the the thing to remember is this concept that willpower should be used to create environments which will support what we want to do. So when you become a devotee, we you realize right away that some of your environments and some of your association is, is basically making it impossible for you to be strict in devotional service because we'll tend to do what the environment dictates, whether the environment is just a situation external to us or it's people we're with. We're, we're extremely affected by it. And so if you want to be Krishna conscious and you're in an antagonistic environment, especially if you're a younger devotee, you're going to find it very, very difficult, if not impossible, to properly practice your Krishna consciousness. And so it only makes sense to be in an environment that supports it. And so the idea of this discussion is for us to contemplate, am I in any, am I, do I have an environment in my life or environments or association in my life, which is actually contradictory, contrary to what I'm trying, where I'm trying to go. In other words, am I needing to go north, but my, but my car is pointed south? Is that, um, they want to sell me something. Everybody wants to sell me something. I'm going to turn you off. I guess they think I'm rich or something. Yes, Prabhu, you are rich in bhakti. I also wish I was rich in bhakti. Trying to add to the bank account every day a little bit. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Add to the bank account. So... Now, here's a very, very interesting concept of environment. I think it's clear because we all have experience. We know what it's like if we haven't been to a temple for a while and we go to a temple. It's almost like instantaneously our consciousness changes. And definitely, when we leave the temple, we're in a very different state of consciousness than we were in when we came to the temple. And if the environment at home is not conducive, when we go back in that environment, then we get negatively impacted by that environment. So, we all know what I'm talking about. Now, here's something that's very interesting. We may go back to an environment which is not conducive to our spiritual life, whatever it, whatever it is, or just not conducive to anything we want to achieve. You go home, your room is disorganized, house is disorganized, it's not clean, things are dirty, etc. This is all affect you know, disorganized space, things which are dirty, uh, things which are falling apart. It does affect us, definitely. It does affect us. Some people like to be in environments where everything's falling apart. It makes them feel like austere. I, I'm, I'm not doubting it, but it affects us. How, if it affects us good, it may affect one person in one way or another person in another way. But we're all very aware of this. So the point of this discussion is think about your environment think about your association think about environments that you're in which may be toxic people that may be having a bad effect on you and people that are having a good effect on you and environments that are having a good effect on you and the goal is to eliminate environments as far as it's, it is within our power that are antagonistic 
to who we are or who we want to become as people and as devotees, as sadhakas. And be in, be in environments or create environments in which we can be in that uplift us, that bring us closer to our goals and closer to Krishna consciousness. So that's, that's your homework for this class and that homework will last you the rest of your life. This is very important. And so our Shastras say, seek out association of advanced devotees. The more advanced, the better. That's what our Shastra says. And once you're in their association, what happens is you become affected by what's going on inside their hearts and their consciousness that is actually being transmitted. You begin to feel what they're feeling and you see them engaged in devotional service and you become inspired. And science says when you see somebody doing something, the neural construction or pathways that shift in their mind when they do a certain activity, if you're watching it, it shifts in your mind also. It's called mirror neurons. That's the, the latest discovery of neuroscience, that when you're watching somebody doing something, the, the neural... I don't know if it's the neural pathways, but the, the neurological construction of their brain as it changes, as it adapts to what they're doing, the same exact thing happens to your brain just by watching it. So we know when we watch devotees engage in devotional service, we get inspired. When we see a humble devotee, it inspires us to be humble. When we see a devotee doing simple menial service, it inspires us. I should do something menial. I shouldn't be so arrogant etc. When um, a devotee is detached, we start to become detached from the thing they're detached from, just by being around them, just by hearing them speak, or even not hearing them speak, just by being with them, just by looking at them, just by feeling them. So these are realities which we have to add, we have to consider how to deal with these realities because the opposite reality is also true. When we're around bad association, if we're around it long enough, it affects us. We start acting that way. This is It's subconscious. And one may think, I won't be affected. But our Shastra says, the worst thing you can do is to be intimately associated with non-devotees because you'll become like them even if you don't want to eventually you'll become like them or you'll be it'll just make it difficult you might say well I know devotees they've been in jail and they didn't become like the other jailmates it's probably because they were preaching to them and they you know they were maintaining their Christian consciousness but obviously it's more difficult there's no question so this is, this is, I just wanted to throw this out for you because in getting out of Maya, we, we, you know, one of, one of the signs that we're dealing, we're dealing with Maya properly is that we've created environments to protect ourselves. So that's very important. Okay. That's what I wanted to say. Um, I, I think that's clear. I don't know if I need to say more. I mean, I have more notes on the topic. Jyotir um, Mai says this new branch of medicine called epigenetics actually studies and proves that we are what 
the environment makes us actually proves that there aren't even genetic diseases but environment that a baby grows makes them create. I just I just heard today that <clears throat> if a mother is in anxiety, they found that their children are more prone to not bronchitis, not emphysema, some lung disease. Their children, because it puts the kids in anxiety and the parents are in anxiety, and that anxiety causes some lung disease. Interesting, isn't it? I think I, I think for devotees, we may not know the full gamut, the full expanse of how environment affects us, but having gone to India, having gone to the Holy Dham, we have very, very intense experiences of an environment that most people don't have, which is being in the Holy Dham, and how we feel in the Holy Dham, and how we're affected by the Holy Dham. And it's it's majorly transforming. And we also have experience of leaving the Holy Dham and just going into a city in India, which is not as bad as a city in America in terms of materialism. Of course, they're close second to us. But still, India has a different culture, which is more aligned with Krishna consciousness, at least in many ways. But even you go into the city from the Dham, you feel, and then you go back to the West, and you definitely feel it. It's it's a different experience, chanting your rounds in Vrindavan on Parikrama than it is chanting, chanting your rounds, walking in a park around where you live. It's a different experience. It's a different environment. And a lot of that environment is not just the Shakti of the place. That's there also. But it's the consciousness of the people. And you can kind of feel that collective consciousness. When you come to the West, you can feel it's just lower. When you go to India, you can feel it's higher. And you go to the Dham, and you can feel it's higher. So it's not just the land. The land is emanating Krishna consciousness. That's for sure. But it's also, because it's emanating Krishna consciousness, people's consciousness is better. And so we're feeling that consciousness. If you, if you walked on an airplane and you didn't know it was full of devotees and you got on, you will feel differently than if it was just full of ordinary people. Wouldn't you? Yeah, because the consciousness were getting affected and infected by other people's consciousness. So that's why Shastra says, seek out advanced association. Seek out association. And as far as possible, seek out advanced association if you can. Because you're going to get infected by their association. And the more advanced they are, the more you're going to get infected. So we're, we're trying to infect one another online. It's harder. We're infecting by sound vibration. But in the presence of Vaishnavas, it's a special infection. Yeah. So Anuradha says, how can we avoid to have intimate association with non-devotees if we want to preach to them? Bhaktivedanta Thakur said something very interesting. He said, <clears throat> he defined association as showing affection, showing love towards another person. And he was saying, in 
you know, because when you show love, then you, the six loving exchanges, and and there's obviously so many varieties of loving exchanges. But he said that intimacy of love is when you open up, you open your heart up to another person. And he was saying at that point, that's when you really get affected, when you're opening up, when you're you're becoming very close and friendly and loving. He especially used the word love. So he said that in ordinary dealings, we will deal with people, but we will not deal with that intimate kind of affection and love. And he said, then we won't be affected. As far as not being affected by people when we're sharing Krishna consciousness to them, Prabhupada would often say that Lord Chaitanya will protect you. you if you preach, he will protect you. Yari Dake Taha Krishna Pradesh. That verse, wherever you go, wherever you meet, Tade Edesh, give them Krishna. Yari Dake Taha Krishna Pradesh. Amaragai Guru Hana Tade Edesh. Then become Guru. And Prabhupada would quote that land, that verse, and it, uh, Mahaprabhu gave this verse and said, wherever you, wherever you go, just do this and I will be with you. And Prabhupada said, Lord Chaitanya will always protect you. So the greatest protection from having to associate with anybody is your sadhana first. And as Bhaktivinoda Thakur said, not intimate French, not intimate love and exchange because that's where most of the transmission of consciousness comes because our hearts are open. And um, one thing that all the preachers note and feel very strongly about is that in order, in order for me to be effective in giving people Krishna consciousness, I need to be strong. So if for some reason... you felt you were being negatively impacted, you felt you were being negatively impacted by spending too much time with people you're sharing Krishna consciousness and their, maybe their consciousness, bad habits are rubbing off on you, then you would need a little distance and you would have to strengthen yourself. But the general principle is that by giving Krishna consciousness, we get it and will be protected. But if if one feels weakened, worn out, then one has to strengthen oneself. In, in During Prabhupada's time, we started this Mayapur festival, and Prabhupada asked everybody to come to it. And Prabhupada said, you know, we're preaching 11 months a year, you need to come to Mayapur and rejuvenate, because you've become worn out. So that is there. So we can use the same principle, rejuvenate. If you're worn out, rejuvenate. And the other thing, Anurata, is devotees are always supposed to be very, very careful about their devotional creeper. So you have this devotional creeper in your heart. It's not actually factually growing there. It's an analogy, but you can feel it growing. And so in that analogy, you're growing this creeper, so you have to protect it from animals that could stomp on it. And so if you ever feel like you're in an environment or situation where your devotional creeper is not doing well, then you have to reflect, well, what's going on? And then start to tweak things. So I'm spending too much time 
trying to help this person, but every time I go to their house, they're just playing rock and roll, and they smoke, and the house smells like smoke, and or they smoke pot, and I can smell it in the house, and it's not a good environment. I can't. So I'm not going to go to their house. I'll invite them to my house. That's or they're always talking nonsense. I can't. I I can't help them that much because. Um, being around them is not good for me. You, you just have to reflect like that. So devotee's always, always very careful. First, protect himself, save himself first. Because he knows, if I can't do that, then I can't help anybody. But, so therefore I need, you know, you, you see, the problem is, it's like, you might say to yourself, well, I know I shouldn't be affected like this. Well, that's fine. You know you shouldn't be. If you were stronger, you wouldn't be. But the fact is, you just, you are being affected, so you have to deal with it. So you can't pretend you're not being affected because you shouldn't be. A good devotee wouldn't be affected in this situation, so I'm just going to keep trying. Okay, sometimes that works, right? It may work sometimes, but it doesn't work all the time because sometimes you are affected. So you just have to be conscious of that. So Nadia says, Jay Shetty talks about different kinds of toxic association. One of these are the controllers, and he defines them as people who need everybody to do as they say and do as they command. Sometimes there are additional etiquettes imposed by these people. See more. My internet connection is disappointingly bad. Um... Sometimes there are additional etiquettes imposed by these people that leads to fanaticism, criticism, and many devotees tend to leave places with these, but then they're criticized for leaving. They are weak. They left Krishna. Many cases is due to fanatic rules and etiquette. I don't blame those who choose to leave. I myself don't feel enthused in those places, but I keep going. It, to associate devotees, I always end up leaving the place with some bad experience, with fanaticism. Yeah, it's, well, um, you know the saying, can't live with them, can't live without them? We need the association of devotees. So you find the, the kind of devotees you can associate with and the kind of environments that inspire you, that that we all must do. What Prabhupada would say, Nadia, he would say, see the good in all the devotees. The bee goes for the honey, the fly goes for the stool. That's what Prabhupada would say. So for every devotee that does something wrong, they've done something good. Now it just depends what you want to focus on. So if you focus on the good, you'll be okay. If you focus on the bad, you'll get very frustrated. So, you know, and you have the choice what you want to focus on. So, you know, sometimes we focus on what's going wrong. And in some cases, maybe it's true, everything's going wrong, there's nothing else to focus on. But normally, there's also something, another side to focus on. So if you focus on the negative, you'll get discouraged. So if you can focus on the positive, 
then you know just distance yourself from the negative I don't think there's more you can do than that it's not you're not going to find a perfect place until you go back to Godhead so you have to contend contend with that yeah so Nadi's saying what makes an environment more conducive clean is very organized um Your altar having a beautiful. I was. I once went to Duwadi's home and he had newspaper on his altar that was like instead of marble there was newspaper. You know, so things like that. You know, I, I've seen people have altars and they're they're kind of messy, dirty. It's on an old beat up table and a cloth's got holes in it and it's faded and you know things like that. Um, you can just you know. Kitchens piled up with dishes for like the last six years, and you know, I forgot to say something. I was going to say it, and I got sidetracked. And what I wanted to say is, the vicious cycle is: you may be living in an in an, in an environment. Let's say it's disorganized, and you know it's not good for you. So you're being affected by the environment. Kind of a catch twenty two, but. If you're in the wrong consciousness, you will create the environment that reflects your consciousness. And then that environment will reflect back that consciousness. So it works really well if you're in good consciousness, and it doesn't work well. It works against you if you're in bad consciousness. Because if you're in bad consciousness, you tend to create a bad environment. Then the bad environment tends to create bad consciousness, which then creates the bad environment. Ooh, and it goes back. So you have to, you know, cut through and break that cycle by looking at the environment and saying, is this environment helping me? And if out of the mode of ignorance I created a Thomasic environment, at least with intelligence, I understand I should create a Sattvic environment because that will have a Sattvic effect. But So that's the problem, you know. When you get up, what do you do? Just throw your blanket on the floor and, you know, you know, Pick the blanket up eight hours later. Things like that. Just be conscious, you know. When was the last time you cleaned your house? When was the last time you cleaned this or that? Your car? Whatever. When was the last time you organized this or that? Um, are things falling apart in your apartment? Um, things are dirty. Like that. You know, just be conscious. It's to me. It's not a good sign. It's a sign of not good consciousness. That of, you know, like like when Prabhupada would see something dirty, he would correct it, and he's asking the devotees why you don't see it. Why I'm the only one who sees it, and then Prabhupada explained why. He said, "Well, if something is dirty and disorganized, and you're in the mode of ignorance, it doesn't bother you. But if you're an organized person or a sattvic person, then you go into an environment which is disorganized. It really upsets you. So, you know, it it could be that you go into a very disorganized, tamasic environment that doesn't upset you because you're tolerant. No, it will upset you. You'll just be tolerant about it, but it will upset you because you're sattvic. So when you cross modes, you get upset, just like for a person who's very tamasic, a sattvic environment... It's, it's upsetting to them. They, they had a lot of homeless people sleeping. I think Port Authority, it's this huge bus station in New York City. 
and uh, it was a problem. There were, you know, it was like it became like their hotel. And someone said, "Just play classical music," because the nature of their of them, their consciousness, and their life is the classical music will will drive them crazy. It doesn't. It works against their frequency. And I was told they all left. They couldn't tolerate the classical music. It drove them crazy. Which proves if you don't like classical music, you are a bum. That was the result. That was the conclusion of that experiment. So it works both ways. <clears throat> it works both ways. So if you're in an environment which is very dirty and disorganized and it doesn't bother you, it's not like the best sign in the world, it's good if it bothers you. That's what Prabhupada said. He said, you don't see the dirt because you're in the mode of ignorance and it doesn't bother you. That was his explanation. <laughs> so, interesting, right? Okay, let's... There we have more preguntas, prashnas, questions or comments. Um... Marco Mantovani says uh, there is a beautiful uh, no that's that is French I don't have the Italian Italian accent uh, I don't have uh, so good uh, there is a beautiful writing by Srila Rupa Goswami in reference to Hari Bhakti Shuddha that I read which says when someone puts a hibiscus Near a crystal, the crystal turns red, <coughs> and so on. Similarly, we will see the attachments and feelings of those we are in contact with appear in our hearts, as well as their qualities and defects will be transmitted to us. All right. Now, as a result of reading that verse, 50% of the Hare Krishna's devotees got divorced today. <laughs> Your attachments are affecting me. I can't be Krishna conscious. Yeah. Well, this is a this is a good verse as a standard. Well, who do you want to marry? You want to marry someone who's got all these good qualities that rub off on you, right? It's a nice verse. I'm going to copy that. Uh, is that the whole verse, or is that a summary? Because if, if there's more, can you send it to me? Just email it to me. Because you say so on. So does so on mean there was more to it? Okay. Beautiful verse. And this is what we're talking about. Bhaktivinoda Thakur also says if someone's having difficulty in their spiritual life, they should just be next to a person who is more advanced. <coughs> For this reason, as Marco is saying, quoting this verse, by Srila Rupa Goswami, for this reason, if you sit next to them, you will feel different. Different things will happen, for sure. That's just the, this is the secret. We have revealed the secret today. You've been listening to these classes since March, and you've had to listen this long to finally get the secret. Just find somebody who's Krishna conscious. And sit next to them. Put a, tie them up to a pole so they can't run and just stand next to them. 
And in fact, this is how Prabhupada was able to spread Krishna consciousness. Just by being in his association, everybody was being showered with Krishna consciousness, so it was very easy. Some, you know, some devotees say, I only needed to see Prabhupada like once a year for a few hours, so that was enough to keep me going for a whole year. Or maybe it was, Prabhupada would stay at a temple for three days. Maybe Prabhupada knew that they only needed three days. Three days was enough. The Shakti was so great. But that's how, that's how we felt. You know, you might say, well, you hardly saw Prabhupada. I said, we didn't need to. We just saw him once a year for a few days. We were good. That was our, you know, shot for the year. We were fine. It lasted for a year. So we can't just say the success of Prabhupada was due to the fact that he knew Krishna consciousness, he knew how to preach, or he was tolerant, or this or that. Of course, you can say all these things. But I would say fundamentally, the fact that he had so much Krishna consciousness, it was just... Prema bhakti yahaite, from you prema, prema emanates. Prema bhakti jahaite, obijabhina sajate. Bedagai jaharacharita. From you prema emanates. By him ignorance is destroyed, the Vedic scriptures sing of his character. So that's how we felt. Like, oh, we're in the presence of someone as prema, I'm getting some of it. Somehow or other, not qualified, not deserving, whatever, but I'm getting it. So I have another question. What happens if we see some potential devotee, but he got confused and tries to get a lot of your association and maybe confused about your intentions? Should we continue preaching? You mean he wants to marry you? Um, if it sounds like what you're saying is the opposite sex, and he's your affection to him to become a devotee, he's taking as um, romantic affection. Yeah, you should turn him over to somebody else. What, whenever you know, the general standard is, if a man is preaching to a woman and bringing her into Krishna consciousness, and naturally the friendship is growing because she's learning so much, he should always find another woman. And say, you know, I think it would be helpful if so-and-so helps you also, and then gradually she becomes more friendly with that other woman and she understands that actually it's better. But if it comes to the point where a person, you can see they're feeling some romantic desire, then you would just say, you know, so-and-so will help you because, you know, I see that this, you have this feeling towards me and it's not what I want. You know, you may have to just be honest about it. But generally, or if a woman's preaching to a man and you know the same thing's happening, then she finds a man. Generally, that is is the best. Find a man. At least do it together, not just one-on-one. One-on-one always is a problem. When men and women... I mean, unless, you know, it's 50 years age difference or something. But still, even even if it's not a problem, if I'm let's say, bringing a woman to Krishna consciousness, I always like that she meets other women or she talks to my wife or, you know, these, my my angle is one, it's, you know, and the female angle is in many ways much more relatable to her. Marco says, I just read this verse, but I can search for others and send to you if I find them, yeah. 
Well, there's another verse. In fact, I have it on my computer. Hold on. I think I have it. Let's see. I believe this was Hiranyakashipu. As the qualities of a nearby object are reflected in a crystal, one similarly similarly takes on the qualities of the person with whom he associates. Therefore, in order to increase one's devotional sentiment in his own line, a wise person should take shelter of those who have the same temperament. Oh, I don't know where that's from, actually. Why didn't I note that? Hiranyakashipu talks about this in Bhagavatam. I thought this was that verse. It doesn't read like that verse. It could be. But I don't remember the verse that way. And so here, Nadia, this verse ends those who have the same temperament. So we find the devotees who have the same temperament and we uh, share Krishna consciousness with them and we relish Krishna consciousness with them. Now, Prabhupada said something amazing. And Nadi, I think this is um, relates to your question. Prabhupada said, Krishna consciousness cannot be relishable and it cannot be perfected without the association of devotees. It cannot be relishable, fully relishable and perfected. We need the association, and we need the association to relish it. Now, in some cases, we get an association, and it's not relishable. It's painful. That may be there sometimes, unfortunately. But in the association of like-minded devotees, people that you can be close with and friendly with, then uh, it's relishable. And, you know, sometimes... We can't always think the problem is with them. Sometimes we're not good association, and they don't like us because we're not good association, and they don't like us, we don't like them. So I've recognized that in myself, at least in my early days at ISKCON, that you know, you want certain association, you don't get it because you're not really inspiring that other person to want your association. You know, like if you, you know, there's some devotees it's like they're, um, you know, it's just their nature. They're always finding what's wrong with an ISKCON, this and that. And, you know, and some devotees like that. They like to talk about what's wrong and so forth. <clears throat> so people who talk about what's wrong will like being around one another. But if you don't, you can't associate with them. So even though they want your association, like, sorry, you know, you're always talking about everything wrong, and I don't want to do that. So... We can also reflect, maybe we do something sometimes and that turns devotees off. And then we become upset that they're turned off. Maybe we were the catalyst. So we have to look at it that way as well. Uh, yeah, so I'll read that verse again. As the qualities of a nearby object are reflected in a crystal, one similarly takes on the qualities of a person with whom he associates. Therefore, in order to increase one's devotional sentiment in his own line, a wise person should take shelter of those who have the same temperament. Yeah, because you want to take, if you're going to take on the qualities of another person, and the person has all the qualities you don't want, it's not going to make a good relationship. Right? 
This is interesting because something similar is in in finding a guru or a siksha guru. Similar temperaments help. You're a very you know you're a very mild person, sensitive, and your guru's preach heavy. Tell them they're in my and you're like, whoa, that's not my mood. <clears throat> that would be hard for you. Sometimes I'm not such a I'm not such a lion like preacher, although I can be. Sometimes Prabhupada would say things which are so heavy, I'd be like, Oh my god, that's so heavy. I'd be like in a state of shock, you know, for about three minutes to like process it. It's not that I doubted it or, you know, it broke my faith or anything. It was just it was like, wow, that was really heavy. How could he say that? That's like, whoa, nobody would say that. Nobody would do that. Prabhupada did it. Oh. But then you could say, well, that's good. Maybe if you're this very calm and timid person, you should have a guru who's like a lion because you need that side of you. So maybe that's true also. You need all you timid devotees, you need a lion like guru, and all you lion like devotees, you need a timid guru. You could look at it that way also. What do they say? You know, they say opposites balance one another. That's another way of looking at it. Um, okay. Jessica says last Monday my neighbor was listening to classical music. While we were in Japa session, it was really good for my Japa. <laughs> Some classical music, yeah, it's Sutwick. Some classical music will drive you crazy. You know, different moods. But some classical music is insane. Makes you feel like you're in a mental hospital. Which just goes to show how much we're affected, right? I start playing some music and it's very like soft and sweet and you're like, oh. and then all of a sudden some heavy metal. Immediately, moods change. We're so affected. One time in a Japa workshop, we were, the topic or the subject of that session was something, I don't know how Sachinandan Swami called it. He might have called it like living the holy name lifestyle or he had he had another name. That might be the name I gave it, but that was the the idea. Living a holy name lifestyle. So what does living a holy name lifestyle mean? It means what you do when you're not chanting affects your chanting. And so Giriyashwami was there. You know, so such, That was the main theme of such. You know, what you do when you're not chanting is going to affect you when you are chanting. And so... Girashami said, he said, everything you do is affecting you, if you think about it. Like everything you eat, everything you see, everything you hear, you smell, you touch, all these things affect us. And when you realize that, and you realize how difficult it is to be Krishna conscious, if you're not careful about what you're hearing, seeing, tasting, smelling, become more careful. Like Everything I let in my senses is affecting my consciousness. So what am I going to look at? What am I going to allow myself to hear? What am I going to allow myself to taste? 
to smell, to touch. It's all going to affect me, especially what we hear, what we see, and what we speak. You can, can completely just, by what you hear, just take your consciousness anywhere based on what you're hearing. You can, you can excite lust in someone's heart by what they hear and see. You can incite purity in someone's heart by what they hear and see, by what you give them. Rasa Prada says, thanks for this time class. Really on your, this is, real, I'm really on your words that will help me for the next five months. Okay. We'll see you in five months, Rasa Prada, and give you a, a new uh, injection. Five months medicine. Nadia says, just like dirty doesn't bother if I'm Tamasic, does waking up late mean the same? Yes. And what to do to wake up earlier when it's very hard? I have wrote an article about it. Go to my website. I don't know the name. I don't know the name of the article, but something about waking up early. Um, of course, I just did a video about it, Nadia. I'll give you a preview before it comes out. Go to bed early. That's it. That's all you have to do. And Nadia's saying, yeah, but... Well, then deal with all the buts to get yourself to bed early because you're not going to get up early if you don't go to bed early. So that's the simplest solution. Uh, you can also set your internal alarm clock with Paramatma, but we all need a certain amount of sleep, and if we don't get that much sleep, we'll get it. Well, the body will just get it. Like, body needs a certain amount of sleep. According to the kind of body you have and according to the level of consciousness you have, you will notice that your body needs a certain amount of sleep to function normally, function well. And in that state of consciousness, according to your health and your diet and your physical body. In that, in that state, you'll need a certain amount of sleep. And if you don't get it, you'll tend to just, while you're working, you'll tend to... You ever do that? The bodies are good at that. You know, They're reading something. And their head's in the book for like a half hour. It's because they, they slept a half hour less than they normally sleep. So they'll, the body will say, okay, now you're just sitting and reading. Well, this is a good time to get the sleep back for you. If you were bathing in a bucket of ice water, that would not be a good time to put you to sleep. But now that you're sitting and reading, then, okay. Or chanting japa, yeah, it's a good time to fall asleep. <laughs> Prabhu, Prabhu, yeah. Wake me up when I finish my rounds. So, you know, we have that experience. So you need a certain amount of rest. So let's say, Nadia, you need eight hours or seven and a half or seven or whatever you need. Just do the math. Say, I want to get up at this time, five o'clock, and I need eight hours. So I think you need to go to bed at nine o'clock, right? I'll give you eight. If you need eight hours, heaven forbid you need eight hours. Oh, my God, that's so much. But if you need eight hours, you go to bed at nine, you get up at five. You go to bed at eight, you get up at four. You go to bed at seven, you get up at three. So you just write down on a piece of paper, this is how many hours I need, this is the time I want to get up and do the math, and 
add it all up, and write down the time you need to go to sleep. And da-da, you solve the whole problem. The problem is being inspired enough to do that. That's the problem. So my philosophy is your whole life changes if you get up early. The earlier you get up, the more your life changes. That's my experience. It's just you like you just have to realize that. And once you realize that strongly, like how important it is, then you start adjusting your schedule. But I'm a night person. I can't get to bed early. Well, you're gonna need to, you know, reevaluate, recondition yourself to go to bed early. So that's your homework, Nadia. Figure out how to go to bed early. And before you go to bed, pray. What I what I found, you know, this is this is interesting. It's psychology, but it's this, it's psychology which is completely saturated with Krishna conscious philosophy. That anything you want to do, you need to become attached to it, and anything you want to detach from, you need to be basically repulsed by it. So, if you're attracted to something, you're going to do it. If you're repulsed by something, you're not going to do it. Generally, unless you're just some awkward situation. It's a general principle. <coughs> so sometimes devotees, they want to get up early, but, but, as they say in India, but, they want to get up early, but they don't like the early morning. When they think about early morning, getting up early, it's like, ooh, ooh so early, it's cold, yucky, it's dark. I'd rather just stay in bed. So if that's how you feel, how are you going to get up early? You have a negative, you have a whole negative picture about getting up early. So you need a positive picture about getting up early. And then you can do it. So all of you who aren't getting up early, just meditate on all the, meditate about the beauty of the Brahma Murta hour. The beauty of rising early, how amazing it is, how wonderful it is, what you can do in the morning, how it will help you. And it it's like you know, if any you know, anyone says, What's the best thing I can do for my Krishna consciousness? And I could say, I, you know, you would think, Oh Muhammad probably was gonna say chant good rounds. But actually I say get up early in the morning because I know if you don't get up early in the morning, the chances of you chanting good rounds are less. But if you get up early in the morning, the good rounds kind of come along with that. So that's my one-line answer. What's the best thing I can do for my Krishna consciousness? Get up early. As early as you can. Go to And so how to do that? Go to bed early. That's the profound... Um, there's a word. It's called Mahabhakya. Bhakya means word. Um So it's like, what is the great statement, you know, of Jamuna Charya, Madhva Charya, the Mahabhakya? Now, one devotee, our God, Sreshwar Prabhu, said, "Cooperate! It's the Mahabhakya of Prabhupada. Work together, unity and diversity. That's the Mahabhakya." Mama Prabhu, what's your Mahabhakya? Your great, your great. How do you say it? Exclamation of truth! Get up early. That's my Mahabhakya. Get up early. 
everything good happens after that. Get up early and also go to the Holy Doms. Those two things are amazing. So Sydney says, she's in Texas. The class starts at 7, so she has to get up early. Okay, now the next question is, what time is early? Well, I used to get up at 11 o'clock, so for me, like, 8 o'clock is early. Yeah, well, everybody knows getting up at 8 o'clock is not early. might be early for you if you're going from 11 to 8, and that's definitely an improvement. Congratulations. But in the ultimate scheme, early is an hour and a half before the sun rises. Of course, if you live in England, that's 6.30, so that's like, or 7. But... The idea is, you know, 4 o'clock, that's like a benchmark, you know, shoot for 4. Around 4, that's that's what Prabhupada established in our temples. So if we say, okay, 4 is early, all of a sudden 6.30 is like really late. But I think, you know, because I was going to getting up at 9 o'clock, I think 6.30, oh my God, the ungodly hour of 6.30. No, that's late. You should have been up at 4 o'clock. So you, you kind of have to, to get up early, you have to reorient your consciousness to what early is. Because if you think 7 o'clock is early, or 6.30 is early, then you're getting up at 6.30, you're getting up early. So I always say, no, think like 4, 3 or 4, that's early. That's what you want to shoot for. Anyway, you have, you know, you have, you don't have to do it tomorrow, but gradually. That's what we should do. Yeah, so Shravani is saying, start 10-15 minutes. Called Kaizen. Slow, slow improvement. Your body gets used to it, and you may even try getting up. Even five minutes earlier. I have another one, Shravani. Like, sleep four hours tonight, and don't take a nap during the day. And like by 7 or 8 o'clock, you'll be so tired. We got a really good night's rest. And you'll be up bright and early. That's another strategy. Difficult to do because if you're too tired, you kind of become dysfunctional. But just experience from traveling and so forth. And trying to get back on schedule. Like I'm tired, I'm thinking, don't sleep. Because then you sleep, you'll be up late. Or if you don't sleep, you can kind of You'll be so tired that when it becomes night, which is actually still your day where you just left, you'll be able to go to sleep. Uh, uh, Christy said she was reading my article on the eternal alarm clock. What's the name of that article? Well, you have a you have a link for it. Um, or was it in a book or something? If there's a link, you could put it there for Nadia. Christy says, I was lacking so much in sleep, I thought I would pass out. Yeah, I know the feeling. Happens to me every day. <laughs> if you're tired, it's really hard to chant. It's hard to do anything. But um, Jessica says, as Grace Sankarshan does article, he says, to preach and care for devotees, always thinking Prabhupada's lovely mood. I was reading about 
his seminary, love Vaishnavas, he said, not to say those rude ideas, those don't work to arise their bhakti. Eleven to seven seems to work for me. Eight hours. Yeah, okay. okay. Well, Sydney, you have kids, so you, it's harder for you to control it. So, Sydney, what about 10.30 to 6.30 next week? And next month, what about 10 to 6? Next month, what about 9.30 to 5.30? And next month, what about 9 to 5? And next month, what about 8.30, 4.30? And next month, what about 8 to 4? Then your lives will be completely different. Your kids won't even recognize you. Drink a lot of water if you go to bed. It's useful to wake up early. That works for me. Yeah. Yeah. You probably wake up like midnight. Uh, uh, okay. So we have a quote here from Prahlad Maharaj. Every being has a maximum duration of life of 100 years, but for one who cannot control his senses, half of those years are completely lost because at night he sleeps 12 hours being covered by ignorance. Therefore, such a person has a lifetime of only 50 years. Yeah. So for us, if we sleep eight hours, that's a third of our life was spent sleeping. Hmm. You know, okay, everyone, I'm going to make you feel really bad. I'm going to tell you a story about Prabhupada and how he didn't like sleeping. Well, I don't know if it'll make you feel better, but... You know, in... in Prabhupada, he did not like sleeping because he would often say sleeping is a waste of time. You're not doing anything. You're just laying there. And Prabhupada is, he wants to serve Krishna. He wants to do something practical. So there was a point in Prabhupada's life where he was having trouble sleeping and having trouble eating. And he told his secretary, I always wanted to be able to give up eating and sleeping. And he said, now I can hardly sleep. Some kind of insomnia or something. And I can hardly eat. And he said, mating and defending, that's not possible. That's already finished long ago. And now my eating and sleeping is being finished. And Prabhupada you know, was saying, this is what I always wanted. This is what I want. And Prabhupada Joki says, I guess I'm liberated. So, it's not, we can't imitate that, but we can see that that was Prabhupada's attitude. And he didn't like his devotees to sleep too much. Although, of course, we have to sleep what we need. But he always was inspired. Oh, when one devotee took sannyas, he said, Prabhupada, what should I do? Now that I'm sannyas, he said, eat less and sleep less. So, you know, that's the example of the Goswamis. You want to be a Goswami? Well, what do you read? You, by spiritual advancement, you can reduce your eating and sleeping. That's a sign. So, Krishnagi um, says she does the same. Oh, drinks a lot of water. Well, you have a, you can have a little cup, right? And on the on the cup, you you adjust the cup to the time you're going to sleep, and it'll tell you how much water you have to drink in order to be awoken at that time 
You have to go to the bathroom. Wow, that's the solution. That's it. Amazing. Class is over. That was we found the solution to getting up early. It's water. You just have to know how much to drink at what time to get you up at the time you want. Wow, what a discovery. Okay. Burn my articles about getting up early. We found the solution. This is it. <laughs> I'm always I'm always of the disposition that to solve a problem you can use mechanical means, but ultimately you have to change something inside. Um, and that's the, your inspiration for devotional service. And the more inspired you are, the easier it is to get up. And often the less you need to sleep. Right. Seven is not really early. No. Sydney, welcome to the Hare Krishna movement. Seven is like, oh my God, that is so late. How could you get up so late? Seven is like, oh, you just, your whole day is ruined now. Now, Sydney, let's say I was staying in your house. And every day I got up at four o'clock, and I, you know, by six thirty my rounds were done, and then I read till about seven thirty. And you get up at seven, and you you get ready, and you come see me at seven thirty. And you realize that I just have my rounds done, and I read for an hour, and you're just getting up. You'll start thinking, hmm, 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 hmm. Hmm. Maybe I should get up earlier. So in our movement, in our movement, we're used to getting up early. We're, you know, I have God brother who gets up at one thirty every morning, chant sixty four rounds or thirty two rounds. Uh, lots of devotees get up at two, three o'clock. They've been doing that for like forty years. So when you're around that, it's just like, oh, oh, I thought seven was early. No, oh, so you 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 guys get up at like two, three o'clock. Oh, okay, that's early. Everyone in the temple has to be up by four. Hmm, okay. So you're readjusting what you consider early or late. So you know, but that works that way with anything. You know, like 1950, no one had run a mile, and in four minutes or less, the physician said it's impossible. Human body can't do it. And somebody did it. And I read that that year, after that person did it, 50 other people did it. So it's like, you know, you adjust you adjust your realities by being around people who do things differently. So you're around somebody, and, you know, he gets up early, and then you see later in the day he takes a nap because that's he, he's attached to getting up early. It's so important for him. So you start seeing these things. You go, oh, okay. Maybe I could do that. Gopinath says... Getting up early is great. Only problem is that my mind doesn't turn off so early in the night. It's hard to shake the day off. Um, so what Prabhupada had spoken about this, about, well, we didn't speak about getting up early. He spoke, well, it's the same idea. He spoke about reducing sleep, and Prabhupada said it takes practice. I think he was speaking from his own experience. Because, as you know, Prabhupada made a decision to get up early so he could translate. So he would sleep two, three hours maximum. Sometimes an hour and a half and then get up. And so I guess he must have been speaking from experience that it would take practice. You can do this, but it takes practice. 
So, what I would say, Gopinath, is that when you fully grasp the importance of being up early in the morning and how that is going to affect your consciousness in huge ways, then with that impetus, you can start making adjustments. And by practice and over time, you'll get habituated to, to getting up early. When I, Right before I became a devotee, I was going to bed at 3 a.m. So if I could go to bed, if I could go from going to bed at 3 a.m. to going to bed at 9 a.m. or 10 a.m., then we can make little adjustments, you know. And sometimes you just have to like lay down. Okay, it's 10 o'clock. I'm gonna lay down. I'm not tired. Just lay down. Put on a lecture and lay down. See what happens. Or better yet, pick up the Bhagavatam. That'll put you to sleep really quickly. Chant Japa. That'll put you to sleep really quickly. That's the that's the Hare Krishna cure for insomnia. Little japa, little bhagavatam, you'll be out. So that is our funny joke. In Ayurveda, five is really gold time to wake up, but six is okay just to wake up before seven, otherwise become more difficult to leave the bed. Ayurveda also said you shouldn't wake up you should not wake up after the sun has risen. That's inauspicious and unhealthy. Uh, so, Chaitanya says, for me, work at the office, finish work at six in the afternoon, wake up at four, makes my brain go blank at about three in the afternoon. <laughs> I still have three hours of work to do. I know the feeling. My brain goes blank also. You know, when my brain goes blank, I after lunch. So my most productive days are the days where I eat lunch later. Because once I eat lunch, everything goes... Prabhupada used to rest after lunch a little bit. You know, Jyotirma, I, I know that some companies allow their workers to nap because they found out that a half-hour nap, they're so much more productive than if they're tired. So maybe they could arrange that. There it is, your internal alarm clock. And I have another article also about waking up early. So if you look under newsletters on my website, you'll find that other article. So there's two articles for you, Nadia. This one, your internal alarm clock, and something about the morning. I just came across the article. Actually... If you're on, if you are on my mailing list, that was just mailed out. And if you're not on the mailing list for the newsletter, then you can sign up on my website. That was the one about waking up early. Was the last newsletter? It was a reissue of a former one. Sydney says my child refuses to sleep till around 11 p.m. Read Bhagavatam to him; he'll go right to sleep. So there is that. He is special, so making him go earlier can create meltdowns if you, yeah, right. You know, being a mother and having regular strict sadhana, sometimes it doesn't work. We understand. You do your best. Uh, how you titled with, have I tried melatonin? Yeah, it keeps me awake. It's helping when our mind is, if I take melatonin, I'm like wide awake. It's some people have opposite effect. Yeah, give Mason melatonin; he might stay up all night. You never know. Be careful. 
Um, but I once, I was traveling somewhere and I couldn't be tired when I got there. And I needed, it was a long flight, and I needed to rest on the airplane. And if I didn't, it was a disaster. So for the first time in my life, I took sleeping pills and I, <coughs> on the airplane. And it was kind of like the first time I traveled across the planet and got somewhere in a different time zone. And I could actually function because I got enough sleep. So sometime, that was the only one time I ever did that. And I had planned to do that in advance. I thought, I'm going to be a mess. And I'm flying there late. And like, I do crazy things like fly in somewhere and two days later I have like a full weekend workshop where I have to be like wide awake in the day, like 12 hours a day. And, you know, so the workshop is like, we get... You know, we get to like uh, start the workshop. You know, at at, at ten o'clock. But that ten o'clock is like, yeah, that ten o'clock is like three a.m. my time. Oh no, we start the workshop at nine. That's three a.m. It's actually three a.m. my time because I just flew in from America and it's six hours later. And it's like, it's so difficult. So I did it once. It was a drastic move, but it worked. Uh, Priest says, I watched an interview in the GBC strategic, plan strategic planning team with a devotee that is a medical doctor. He said that one of the more frequent sicknesses for the devotees is dementia. That is caused by lack of sleeping and vitamin B12 deficiency. Hare Krishna. Okay, everything I said about giving up sleep, I take it back. Balance is very important. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. Most devotees don't get enough vitamin B12 unless you drink a lot of milk or maybe even not. So that is a good point and um, it's totally true. Um, but different people need different amounts of sleep. That's also a fact. Some people can function on less. I think Donald Trump sleeps four hours. At least before he was president there was an interview and he said, I sleep four hours. Gives him more time to tweet. Uh, <laughs> I do just in temple. When I sleep three hours at home, I'm fine. Well, she's a real yogini. Um, so Sydney's getting there. She was a night person. B12... Because Prabhupada's heart attacks because of overworking and undersleeping. Um, it could be, but you couldn't stop Prabhupada. He never wanted to stop. He took care of himself to a certain point, but beyond that, he's just like, Prabhupada could neglect his body and his health and not be affected by it. He wasn't sleeping. He wasn't sleeping much. He would go through all these time zones and jet lag and just not take extra rest. Nobody could do it. We couldn't do it. He could do it. It's amazing. But, you know, you can't imitate. And it's true. You need to get sufficient sleep. That's for sure. And the other, Marco's uh, talking about the Paramatma. So you can read about that in my article. He's the internal alarm clock. Mm -hmm. 
Can't nap at your lunch break. Okay. Um, I needed to hear this. This is from Victoria. I think it's pronounced Victoria, right? Is it different? Victoria. Victoria, you have to send me a WhatsApp message and tell me how your name is pronounced so I can pronounce it properly. It's not... It's sensitive to me as I still cannot wake up early even after five years of chanting. I have hope now to try again. I gave up a few years ago. I had so hard for some people. Um, well, just remember what Prabhupada said. It takes practice, so don't give up. You have to practice. And Again, I would say, from my experience, is that any anything you want to do, this is just a basic principle, but it, you can apply it to everything. It's really... Um, it's 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 visualizing what you want, even though you may not be able to do it. But visualizing, getting inspired by it, and this is what I want to do. And then, and then, uh, the more you're inspired by it, the more you see the benefit of it, the easier it's going to be. I really want to do this. I really want to do this. I really want to do this. You know, that's how people achieve everything in their life. So don't give up. Keep trying. And keep keep creating these pictures of the morning or these emotions, the morning and the beauty of the emotion, the morning and how I can chant better rounds and it's the best time to read. You know you absorb, they say you absorb like 50% more in the morning. And... Radhapri says, I'm not a MD. I thought she was going to say, I'm not Mahatma Das. I'm not a doctor, but I think that it's probable the body is like a machine. The car you force it, it's going to damage. Yeah, you have to. It's all about balance. You sleep what you need, not more, not less. That's the idea. Correct? Yes? Best way to sleep is a polypathic sleep, like small children do. Like Leonardo da Vinci did. Four hours per night, and during the day, every four hours, 15-minute nap. But you can do that only if you don't have a normal job. Yeah. I pronounce it perfectly. It's the same like in English. Victoria Polaska. Krakow. You're in Poland now? Polska? Krakow. Poland's next to Lithuania, so it's... Okay. <laughs> Morning just to make me angry. I really just like them. If I can do it, everyone can. Okay, what a great way to end class. If Sydney can get up early, anyone can because she used to hate it. So this proves my point. You have to learn to love whatever it is you want to achieve and you have to learn to dislike, even become disgusted with things you want to give up. 
So the night is disgusting. Oh my God, it's so bad. Late at night is the most disgusting time of the day. Early morning, can you hear the music? It's beautiful, amazing. Just get all your, you know, get all the words, write them on a piece of paper. The morning, amazing, purifying, sadwik, powerful, phenomenal. And then write the nighttime, yucky, horrible, dark, miserable. And program that in, and you know, in a few days, boom, you'll be up at four o'clock like nothing happened. Just that was the easiest transition. But seriously, that is our philosophy. Whatever you become attached to, you become inspired to do. Whatever you become repulsed by, you become detached from. So, okay, all glories to the morning. So, that's the name of this class. Okay, we're going to end here. I actually have to finish my notes for this class I'm giving today to this group of people from London about the importance of creating the right environment for their spiritual life. So, I have to finish that now. And if you want to join us in an hour, one hour and 26 minutes, exactly, in 14 seconds. No, actually, one hour, yeah. Now it's one hour and 26 minutes. We're going to be chanting Japa. And you should see ads on Facebook or on my website if you want to join us. We have a good time. In association with all of you, so you're all invited every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Hare Krishna. Srila Prabhupada ki jai. Go premanandi Hari Hari Bol. Good day, everyone. Go run.